0: Good morning and welcome to today's Euractiv event AI regulation and the future of work. What are the opportunities and concerns? My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based in Brussels, and I'm going to be guiding us through today's conversation. I'm coming at you live from the Euractiv studios in the heart of the EU quarter. Now, artificial intelligence, or AI, is one of the hottest topics in the tech policy world right now. AI looks looks set to transform many aspects of our lives across industries and geographies. One of the areas where it can majorly transform our lives is in our workplaces. Automation of processes can increase efficiency and productivity and create new opportunities for innovation and professional development. But at the same time, these changes are raising concerns about potential job losses and the need to help upskill and reskill workers in the sectors which will face the most significant disruption. Now, as part of its digital agenda, the European Commission has proposed harmonized rules regarding AI applications, seeking an approach that is shaped by EU values, including the precautionary principle and a risk based approach such an approach could be quite different than the one used in other jurisdictions, such as the United States. Governance and enforcement remain some of the most contentious aspects of this idea. The legislation, combined with investments into AI and skills through mechanisms such as the Digital Europe Program and the Recovery and Resilience Facility, could prove to be a game-changer for Europe. Such an approach would be in line with the EU's ambitions to become a global leader in developing cutting-edge, trustworthy AI. But the act will need to balance considerations of the benefits of AI to European workers and the economy with concerns on the potential widening skills gap and social inequalities. So today we'll be talking about how the EU can regulate AI in a way that's consistent with its core values, and how AI is going to change our office lives. You guys at home will be able to ask your questions to the panelists using the chat feature on Vimeo. Go ahead and type your questions in there. You can start typing those questions in now if you already know what you'd like to ask. And I'll be reading those out to the panelists at the end of the panel. You can also join the discussion on Twitter by using the hashtag EA debates. So let me introduce the panelists we have with us here this morning to discuss this issue. We have with us Isidro Lasso Balesteros, a cabinet expert for EU Innovation Commissioner Maria Gabriel. We have Laura Nursky, research fellow at the think tank Bruegel. Benjamin Mueller, senior Pol- policy analyst at the Center for Data Innovation. Jens hedrick Jeppesen, Director for Public Policy for EMEA at the human capital management company Workday. And joining us shortly will be Italian center-left MEP Brando Benife, member of the Special Committee on Artificial Intelligence in the European Parliament. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this morning. Isidro, let's start with you. I've outlined some of what the commission is planning in this area. How will the EU AI Act balance these potential benefits of AI for the way we work with concerns about potential job losses and a widening skills gap?
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Dave, for the introduction. And thank you for the invitation to to be here. On behalf of of Commissioner Gabriel, I'm happy to, we are discussing about this topic, Particularly relevant now that we have the new AI regulation from from us, from the Commission, that was released, as you mentioned, on the on the 21st of April uh, this year, and that brings many novelties. And uh, one of the novelties is the regulation in somehow heavy regulation of the more risky AI applications, and a more lighter regulation of other less risky uh, uses of the of the ai it imposes requirements on the on the providers and i would say that the main benefit of this new regulation has been to provide a certainty in the market and i'm talking we are talking here about the impact on, on jobs and job creation and here we have two sides the one side is the jobs created by the new ai systems and as you said this will, will require highly trained people that also goes in, in line with uh, higher uh, salaries and higher uh, wages and at the same time it has an impact on uh, uh, the existing uh, jobs we should not uh, deny that the ai will have an uh, impact a uh, negative impact on on uh, uh, existing ais and once is making up a listen between the jobs the impact on jobs that the robots are having in the in the in the in in some sectors of the economy, to uh, the impact that AI may have in other sectors, more uh, uh, the, the offices type of, of work. And this, this too, that's necessar- doesn't necessarily means that the, 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 there will be less people working, but will certainly mean that the type of job that will be done will be very different. I can tell you the, my own example when preparing the speeches for the commissioner. Gabriel, I'm using some uh, tools uh, uh, that are, I know that they are powered by AI and that is making my work much uh, easier and is also allowing me to dedicate part of my work, of my time to other more creative type of, of activities. This is my own case. I know others are working on an AI to help people to prepare uh, tenders for call for tenders of the governments so there, that means that there might be many tasks that will be uh, impacted by, by that so the the two main benefits as i said will provide certainty for the providers of this ai and the the second benefit important benefit is the security that will provide at this providing to the to the users to the to the to the workers as well to be secure that they are not going to be exposed to to maline type of ai systems and very importantly here we need to consider that the regulation is covering not only the data but also the algorithms part so it's very important that we consider both as, both aspects because even if the the if, if the data if the algorithm has been prepared let's say in the us and is coming here using a european data the algorithm itself may have already some bias because the data in which the algorithm has been trained, so we need to consider the, 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 the both uh, both aspects. And finally, I would like to say that for us, this regulation on AI is is a first in regulating one of the new deep tech uh, uh, technologies innovations. Uh, it is not the traditional type of regulation or, or not the traditional type of of uh, of, of innovation that we regulate. And uh, this is, as I said, this is a phase, and we, it's, a, it's a kind of pilot for us for future regulations in other areas that might be coming in the in the in the just to come, like on synthetic biology and in other areas that are even more challenging than AI, because on synthetic biology, one of the very first questions we have is: Is this a human being or is not a human being who has been created, or, or more than a human, a living being or a non-living being? So you know that we are entering into an area for the regulator, really complicated. And the, the the approach that you take, and you saw that we are taking is a, a, is, is always the, putting the user, the human-centered approach, the user and the consent of the user to provide security to the user, that what is being offered to him is respectful of the uh, their, uh, their
0: fundamental values and, and culture. Yeah, some really thorny issues there. I mean, determining whether an AI is a living being, Very, very complicated and sounds like something out of science fiction, right? Movies we've been watching for so long, but now we're actually really confronting these issues. Laura, you guys at Bruegel have been working on this issue, really diving into the weeds on this. How do you expect AI to change the way we work?
2: Um, hi, uh, hi, Dave. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, so um, AI is impacting our work in many different ways and none of none of those are intrinsically good or bad. So we have to look at each application separately and see which dimension of work it is impacting. So the way that I look at it is that AI is changing what we do at work, so which tasks. Uh, who gets to do those tasks and how we manage the people doing the tasks. So you can also think of the distinction between AI and production processes versus AI and human resource or management processes. So in the what we do at work or the production processes, we know that AI is especially good at replacing these low skill and middle-skilled uh, routine tasks. Um, at the same time, it's also creating new high-skilled tasks, uh, mostly in developing and managing the AI systems and all of the supply chain that leads up to those uh, systems. But most of all, like uh, Isidro just mentioned, it will AI will be supporting existing tasks across the whole skill spectrum, so many workers will be assisted by AI in their day-to-day tasks in the near future or already today. So to me, the benefits in these types of applications, they lie mostly in increased productivity. They can also lead to improved job quality, not necessarily, but they could, um, if the AI is replacing those dull, dirty, and dangerous tasks. Um, But there are some risks as well uh, that you already highlighted in your introductory statement uh, in terms of the quantity of jobs that will be available at the different skill levels. This is also known as uh, labor market polarization. Uh, but also in the terms of the quality of the remaining jobs so for example if your job is being reduced to just monitoring an ai system then you're not using your own skills and that could lead to skill losses in the in the future so however to me the benefits in these applications they seem greater than the risks at least if we can address this reskilling uh, challenge to to fill this increasing skill gap and ai can also be a solution to the problems it creates here since ai is also very good at um Um, organizing personalized training programs and personalized reskilling initiatives. So that's on the what we do at work, but what is happening in the how we manage people uh, part is that AI is increasingly being used to allocate tasks across workers, for example, in platforms, but also now uh, more and more in traditional workplaces through scheduling, monitoring, evaluation algorithms. This is this is known as algorithmic management. And in the who gets to do the work, uh, AI is now helping HR um, processes to to decide who gets recruited for jobs and selected, who gets promoted and even who gets fired. So again, in these applications, the benefits are sought in in increased efficiency, especially due to reduced labor costs. However, the risks in these applications, they, they seem really vast and they cover discrimination, privacy issues, but also the loss of autonomy Uh, Increasingly unprotected work, power imbalances between workers and employers. So in this case the risks to me seem greater than the benefits and that's why I think it's essential that these types of AI applications at work are currently classified as high risk in the proposed regulation. So just to sum up, AI is a general purpose technology, so it's not inherently good or bad. It's impacting work in many different dimensions. Some of those carry a higher risk than others, and it's the high risks that we should carefully manage. And I hope that in the discussion I can get a bit more into detail on how I think we should do that.
0: Thanks a lot, Laura. Benjamin, you've also been working on these issues, particularly when it comes to data. So what kind of difference do you think data will make to the way we work?
3: Yeah, thanks, Dave, and good morning, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a really fascinating topic <clears throat> that we're discussing today, and uh, the, the panel is certainly a stellar one. So I really look forward to the discussion. Uh, I think the question of how uh, data is affecting our work is very much a live one. Insofar as you know, the the experience of the pandemic uh, over the last um, over the last two years <clears throat> has demonstrated, you know, just how far-reaching the impact has been. Um, of 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 the internet uh, uh, revolution, really, and how we work. Um, so I would um, I would break this down into into two main um, developments. On the on the one hand, you have the sort of backend uh, infrastructure side of 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 the data economy, <clears throat> the kinds of applications that we use, the connectivity that it enables, um, and that very much uh, you know is is redefining um, how, how we're able to do our jobs. Uh, the most obvious example being uh, the rise of remote work, uh, but also the level of uh, interaction and connection that we're able to um, just harness on, on a daily basis. Um, on the sort of front end or user facing or, 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 or managerial side of things, um, you know, we live in a in, in, in a knowledge economy, um, and information is that is, is is arguably the most valuable commodity. Uh, and data is, is, is the means to which we can make sense um, of information. So the uh, rise in the availability of uh, data analytic tools and uh, prediction tools and so forth uh, gives rise to an increasingly data-rich environment within which to build and manage organizations. So uh, it will allow us to um, become much more savvy in how we manage resources, uh, managing uh, levels of stock, uh, being able to uh, predict in advance uh, where demand for a certain uh, product might rise or fall, um, managing uh, the, the, the levels of supplies, uh, and I think it's a it's a it's a question of um, visualization, um, uh, tracking, sorting, and uh, reviewing the information at hand. Uh, and I think that we're really just a, at the beginning um, of a sustained period. Um, of much more uh, user-friendly and rich data experiences, which will affect the entire um, the entire spectrum, really, of work from the perspective of an employee all the way up to um, to, to 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 senior executive levels. Um, and uh, and I think that uh, AI is 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 the sort of um, focal point, really, um, of how we be, be become um much more intelligent uh, in how we use and understand the data uh that defines whichever domain of work uh we happen to be active in so it's a really exciting space uh, and we're seeing this being rolled out um almost on a weekly basis um for instance uh, in the uk an example where ocado uh, the warehouse uh the warehouses of ocado which is an online supermarket delivery company um, have, have, have been able to, to reduce their cost footprint by about 10% a month, simply by being um, uh, more able to predict what kinds of products are demanded in different areas of the country. Uh, and so even marginal improvements uh, in, in, in the use and understanding of data at scale um, can have a, a massive impact um, on, on uh, the, the economics of a company, but also the sustainability um, of an economy as a whole. Um, these are the somewhat less sort of sexy applications, but I think really powerful ones uh, once they're rolled out uh, across the economy at scale. So data is going to continue to drive a lot of change in how we work.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's funny. There are like the, the sexy applications and then there's really the nitty gritty stuff that is less from the science fiction movies, but actually can be a lot more relevant to the things that will change our Our lives. Uh, Let's go to Jens Hendrik next. I mean, you guys are at Workday. You're really executing these AI solutions uh, in a way that directly impacts workplaces. So how is Workday using AI to change the way that we work?
4: Thank you, David. Um, So first of all, Workday is a provider of enterprise cloud applications uh, we work in human capital management, uh, finance, planning, and analytics. We have uh, some 9,000 customers globally, uh, with a, a customer community of probably around 50 million uh, workers. Uh, many of them in in Europe, where we have a, a large and, and growing uh, business. And so, with with our expertise in applications for human capital management, in particular, we're really at the intersection of digital technology. Um, uh, and the workforce. And uh, we're very pleased to, to work with your active to, to pull together debates uh, on these important issues. Um, and so at, at Workday, we see skills as the currency of the changing uh, world of work. And so we work with our customers to move towards uh, skills-based employment practices. Um, so this means basing hiring skill, hiring positions hiring on skills uh, rather than pedigree and uh, degrees uh, and and and, um, and and certifications. And so we hope to create a more inclusive uh, labor market uh, in this way. And so machine learning powered tools can play a role in uh, improving outcomes, both for, for workers and for, for employers. So they can enhance skills development, uh, create internal mobility. Uh, they can enable better hiring decisions and enrich uh, workers' careers with the uh, tailored Upskilling, uh, improved uh, mobility, and connecting people with, with opportunities. A, a concrete example of this type of technology is, is the Workday Skills Cloud. And so this is a machine learning framework that's built into the core of our human resources software. It's a universal skills ontology that provides a way of understanding what makes up a skill and the relationship between different sets of skills. And it uses machine learning to read and systematize data in structured or unstructured formats uh, cvs job descriptions learning content Uh, and applications based on this technology can really help both employers and employees it can enable employers to understand the skills that they have in the organization and to identify and forecast skills gaps this ties back to what benjamin was saying about how how data can be managed, made operational, and visualized within the organization. Uh, They can create uh, internal project groups and talent marketplaces to bring together people from different parts of the organization uh, for projects and tasks. Um, Skills Cloud applications also enable employees to find short-term internal opportunities for career growth uh, that match their desired skill sets and they can curate and offer content for employee learning and training programs which are really adapted to uh, the employees skills and, and, and career interests so this is uh, this is uh, one example of how we use the machine learning capabilities and our solutions to help customer companies and their employees uh, and you know like you said uh, we think there's going to be immense potential in ai applications across the broad set of of industries and activities and and we think the right legislation can really help increase trust in these uh, applications and and so help societies reap the benefits and and the commission's proposal for for regulation uh, on uh, on ai the ai act we think it's a really good starting point for framing the right rules and that's something that we'll no doubt uh, talk more about later this morning thank you
0: Great. So uh, let's go to back out to a policy perspective. Brando, welcome. Uh, So I wanted to ask you, Brando, what are the biggest concerns for legislators in this area, both at the EU and national level, when it comes to the increasing use of AI in workplaces? What are you worried about as a legislator? And what are you excited about as a legislator?
5: Yes, I think you can hear me now. Yep. Um, Yes. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you. Uh, This is a very uh, important question. I would say we have a number of concerns about the current misuses and dangers of using AI in the workplace. The pandemic with the expansion of teleworking has accelerated the uptake by employers of applications for performance prediction and monitoring of workers through different AI techniques. A misleading and abusive use, sometimes based on non-scientific theories, extremely prone to bias and discrimination. The monitoring activity entailing a massive data collection often takes place not only without the consent of the worker, but also without them even knowing, which is a violation of their rights of their dignity and often of national legislation. These systems are mentioned in the Artificial Intelligence Act that we are examining now among the high risk uh, use cases, together with others related to employment, such as those for hiring or for termination decisions. But one of the main concerns is that in the draft, they are allowed to undergo a simple internal conformity assessment procedure by developers before being placed in the EU market, considering monitoring systems uh, as legitimate use cases without a fara preliminary discussion and impact assessment Risks to have serious consequences for the rights of European workers, and also without the di- social dialogue with social partners. I think there is much space to improve the proposal in this sense. First of all, I, I think some of these practices may might not be allowed at all. Second, the workers' knowledge and consent uh, should be mandatory, as well as the exclusion of any negative consequences in case of consent denial. Self-assessment for such invasive practices should not be allowed empowering the social partners and involving employees uh, is the key we we need to make sure that work has not become an expendable commodity to the service of an algorithm because on the other hand to conclude as you said what would be instead the positive uh, uh, sp- space I see for positive action I believe that uh, there are a huge uh, array there is a huge array of potential benefits for workers relieving them for repetitive work assisting them making their tasks safer or less uh, heavy i i think this should be the way we use uh, ai in workplace and not to monitor and collect data in a, a illegal way thanks
0: Thanks a lot. Uh, We've got some great questions that have come in from the audience, so keep them coming. You can just type them into the chat feature in Vimeo, and I'll be reading them out to the panelists later. Um, I wanted to talk first about the fears about AI replacing people's jobs. I think this is one of the first things that people think about when they think about concerns about AI. Um, Laura, maybe let me go to this, uh, maybe let me go to you on this first. How do we address those fears about AI replacing jobs? Are the fears legitimate? And are there what, what part of the fears are legitimate? What part of the fears are maybe in people's imagination? And how do we address the fears and also the the, the reality of what could happen?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I don't think we should brush aside these fears that uh, they are very real to people and they've always been there in times uh, when technological innovation was disrupting workplaces I you can read Carl Facebook on uh, called the technology trap, he really describes in a nice way, uh, how also in previous uh, times in history, uh, when technology was disrupting workplaces. Um, there were these fears and protests of workers so 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 these fears are real and we shouldn't we shouldn't ignore them or brush them aside and some of the fears might seem irrational and others indeed they point to a very real risk of job loss and labor market polarization so i think we should approach these fears in in three ways first of all i think we should help lessen the part of the fears that come from not understanding ai So by making AI less of a black box, increasing the transparency and explainability of algorithms, uh, but also increasing the data literacy skills uh, among the the public. Then second, on those very real fears, um, there are some categories of jobs where displacement is a very real risk. And so for those people uh, in those at-risk jobs, we should help them move into jobs that are safer from automation and help them reskill also to facilitate those transitions. And finally, for the people who cannot for some reason make that transition into another job, we should provide the insurance and security uh, for those people. And then finally, I think uh, we should also show the people the what's in it for me, you know, when people see what's in it for them, they they will come to accept uh, AI much more easily. So we should design and implement algorithms in such a way that they actually enhance the human experience at work instead of worsening it. And this is a responsibility that lies on the shoulders of the AI developers. And I, I really, I don't think we have good metrics for that yet. So I, I do see some scope, uh, both in terms of research and policy for developing some good metrics that AI developers can, can work towards uh, making these technologies uh, more accepted uh, by workers.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you raised that point about the acceptance of workers. Isidro, how is the commission thinking about this? I mean, how do you present an AI strategy that addresses people's fears about AI replacing their jobs, but also can make them excited about the possibilities?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, what uh, Laura just mentioned is, is fully right. It's very important to explain to the people what is in, what is in me in, in these AI uh, applications. Certainly, there are concerns about the the, the job loss uh, that might be related some directly or indirectly to the application of AI or future new uh, novel technologies. But uh, we uh, our our obligation as as uh, policymakers is to provide to provide certainty to them. First, that uh, the, the the there will be no harmful. Uh, uses of of um of uh, the technology like uh, bruno mentioned before no, that there are some the concerns from him for example that the the employer might be using the ai to monitor the work of the of the employee uh, illegally so these are the kind of things that we should it's very important to provide certainty to the to the to the employees that this is not the case, and that there is a regulation that avoids that, and that the enforcement authorities that is not the Commission of course, but the enforcement authorities are uh, in, uh, enforcing that regulation. So and, and this is uh, is something new. It's as uh, from April this year. So we need to 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 work on 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 all the the details because as always the devil is in the details. But this is very important to provide this certainty and to provide to the and then to as as Laura mentioned then to to explain to the people what is in in there for me. Then the 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 market will say how this goes in terms of create de, destroying some existing markets or creating new markets. We will keep an eye to to ensure that the, if this is happening. If there are some jobs that become redundant. The, the the employees are skills, uh, real skills, and up skills. So all these new terminology that we are using are uh, very much terminology that we were not using before because we didn't need, but now we are needing with the introduction of all these hardware or software type of, of, of technologies. So uh, this uh, this is uh, we are ready for that in the in the new strategy for digital uh, uh, education. We have included it, uh, these aspects. And if the job redundancies uh, happen, we will be ready, and we are ready to help the employees to find uh, the the right the nice jobs, the right jobs in the same company, doing other tasks, or in another uh, companies. As I said, in the short term or medium term, I don't expect uh, long, uh, long, big losses of jobs. I expect more an impact on the current job that you are doing. And allowing you to do other uh, creative uh, tasks. I don't know is your case, but the studies we have is that the, the workloads are quite high, heavy nowadays, and artificial intelligence can be very useful to re- to release us or some of those uh, heavy workloads and to focus on the more creative and more uh, added value uh, type of jobs. This is what I I, I expect to have. It. I don't expect to have a lot of uh, uh, to lose a lot of uh, jobs like, as such. But there will be certainly a transformation of jobs and ai should be perceived as something not intrusive and on the contrary something that is helping and is uh, allowing me to do my job uh, easier and allowing me to have uh, time for other uh, activities in the in the in the job
0: so isidro doesn't expect a big loss of jobs as a result of ai um jens hendrik how do you think we strike this balance between what AI is capable of and what it should do um, ethically, let's say. I mean, should efficiency be the only consideration when deciding whether AI should do a specific work task? Or are there other considerations that are at play?
2: Well,
4: I think, Dave, uh, efficiency is is definitely one of a number of uh, considerations that determine how work is organized. Uh, both at the level of the individual company and uh, society uh, as a whole, um, and and of course, uh, technology uh, enables uh, enables us to do uh, more with less. So it enables productivity gains, which is of course what is what is going to secure uh, Europe's uh, prosperity over the long term. Uh, but I, I really, uh, I really think that so Isidro is really uh, right when he says that. Uh, uh, the impact on technology on uh, on the workplace. It's not a sort of one to one replacement of a person in most cases. It is it, it is more uh, technology tools become available and they enable uh, performance of some tasks in a much more uh, effective and efficient way than before, and that frees up time uh, for the employee to focus on uh, on more uh, high value added tasks. Um, now. I think it is undeniable that uh, some uh, roles that are uh, really uh, uh, w- where the focus really is very uh, repetitive, uh, monotonous, uh, and, and sometimes uh, in, in, the, in the sort of manufacturing, construction, um, uh, perhaps quite physically uh, demanding jobs those types of tasks uh, are, are being done increasingly uh, by uh, machinery uh, and often with, with AI uh, embedded. And I, and I think uh, that is to the benefit uh, of both uh, the employer and the employee in most cases and, and society as a whole. But I think, as, as uh, Laura was saying, it's, it's also important that society provides the right uh, a framework in terms of, of social security, retraining, upskilling, reskilling programs, uh, and of course, a distribution of wealth uh, as well.
0: That, that is definitely part of the overall societal solution to these problems. Um, Benjamin, what do you think about this? I mean, what should be the main deciding factor here efficiency or other factors?
3: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, you know, obviously, the, the concept of efficiency is, is is really central to the sort of engines of uh, free market economy and how we generate, as uh, Jens put it, more with less. Um, and, you know, in light of the uh, productivity trends in Europe for the last three decades, um, which have basically flatlined, um, it's really important to ask ourselves, uh, how can we how can we stimulate um, uh, more more progress in in that area? and clearly uh, harnessing the opportunities provided by the data and AI revolution is going to be key to that. Um, and I think efficiency you know also applies or can be looked at in a different uh, through a different lens. Uh, you know, employer employee relations, workplace relations, um, are not efficient uh, if if uh, if the balance there uh, is out of whack, um, and if employees feel they're getting a, a raw deal, that that translates into uh, organizational problems. So it's not necessarily that efficiency has to come at the price um, of uh, of of sort of uh, the the quality of of a job or a workplace. Um, I do think that it is important in the debate um, not to paint an exclusively dystopian picture of the future that awaits. And you know, I think in this panel, the the, the it's been interesting to hear both sides because uh, there are very clearly um, uh, opportunities here to make work uh, more high quality for people. Um, you know, there is an example um, of uh, a computer vision model called uh, Intense Eye that's used to detect um, threats to employee health and safety in, in ways that are not possible for human inspectors to see in real time, uh, because it sort of collects and aggregates uh, workplace movements over a period of time, and then uh, categorizes particular. Uh, situations into risk segments and I think that's an example of again something that seems quite mundane Um, it's not as interesting to talk about as this AI is going to dock your wages for for misbehaving Um, and the question really is how can we incentivize the rollout and deployment of these kinds of tools rather than ones um, that are currently uh, discussed as, as being the sort of scarier ones that will be used to um, to repress uh, to repress workers, um, and so uh, as 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 far as as far as I see the debate, it's obvious um, that any sort of uh, any technology that affects you know how we work is is socially sensitive, and it is quite right that we have a debate about all of that. Um, and I think that's that's really interesting and fertile ground uh, as regards to the replacement of jobs. Here I'm by no means an academic expert, but as far as I can see, and, and as, as uh, Laura has already described, um, any period of sort of sustained um, and widespread technological um, change is going to engender uh, you know, a, a, a rearrangement of uh, labor practices and labor markets. But history so far has shown Um, that the end result once you push through the period of transformation is higher standards of living, new jobs created down the lane, new opportunities arising. And in general, the work that tends to be automated uh, is is, um, sort of rote or mundane or heavy labor. Um, And, you know, uh, that's exactly the the notion of, of a productivity enhancement that we should aim for. We live in houses that are full of devices that have Automated um, work that was previously done by hand, like washing machines or dishwashers or hoovers, uh, and I think that is sort of the general direction of a, of a society that embraces social and technological progress. And there's lots more of this uh, to come uh, if we if we if we harness these technologies properly and don't stifle their development um, through through badly designed um, legislation and regulation.
0: Well, you mentioned that these social issues with working can be very sensitive, and I think uh, these sensitivities are particularly high in Europe. I mean, that's the context in which we're having this discussion. We're talking about the situation here in Europe. Brando, I wonder what you think about what is, what is a core EU value when it comes to AI, and do you think that as the EU shapes its regulation in this area, is it going to, be, is it going to end up being quite different from other areas of the globe, let's say the United States, where a lot of this technology is coming from. Does Europe have a a different and unique perspective on this when it comes to these social rights?
5: Uh, Well, first of all, we have a strong tradition of uh, social dialogue that is uh, quite uh, uh, strong in many of the European countries. Uh, Uh, We have seen already, uh, for example, recently uh, in Italy, the um, agreement between uh, Amazon and the main uh, unions regarding uh, um, social dialogue uh, on many uh, contexts. That is a a unique situation, in fact. And if you compare that to how is it in the US, for example, we are completely in another uh, direction. uh, the um model that we have seen uh, of uh, ai in china has been a model of control uh, uh, through social scoring also that has been forbidden and the it's already forbidden in the in the regulation uh, although uh, we could imagine uh, forms of social scoring by private companies if we don't strengthen the provisions of the um, AI act, so we we stop the public from doing it and that's good but we should prevent uh, businesses to do the same. Uh, And in US we have uh, a situation where the um, legislation uh, protecting uh, uh, data, privacy, um, uh, contrast of discrimination and bias is very limited and uh, that's why also uh, american legislators we have been talking with they are eager to see what we are doing because they would like to push for some uh, similar action also in us um, um, so what we are trying to do is to build uh, a european model for ai with uh, this uh, human-centered approach uh, with uh, uh, safeguards for fundamental rights not just on paper but with uh, strong enforcement mechanisms and uh, uh possibility to appeal to humans when uh, ai is uh, uh not doing its uh, job properly uh and these uh, must be uh, um deployed all these uh, innovation with uh, uh people's rights at the center uh this is something that uh, again i insist it sh- it's not a, a a statement of principle it's something that must be very concrete and operative and i think it's true as some say that we can have uh, a competitive european model that is uh, something that can be uh, attractive because it's different from uh we can say the uh con control uh, approach of china or the uh, free reign uh, approach of 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 us that both create uh, a lot of problems and we we are trying to learn also from uh, experience of other parts of the world that have been deploying ai to some extent in a in a larger uh, um, array of context and uh, how much is being done today in uh, in uh, in europe and i i think that we are on a on the right track with the regulation proposed by the commission but as i said also earlier we will need to strengthen it and make it more uh, functional on those aspects where it seems to me that it's still a bit uh, weak and uh, i'm i'm sure we will be able to do this by balancing uh these concerns with the need to support innovation to not stop uh, experimentation we have this uh, provisions of the regulatory sandboxes also to support uh, small uh, and uh, businesses and startups to be able to use ai with uh, uh, a reduced uh, uh, burden i think this is very important obviously but we we should push good innovation and not support uh, innovation that goes against uh, fundamental rights
0: Yeah, and that issue of social scoring was the subject of a very famous Black Mirror episode that uh, I think left a lot of people unable to sleep for a while after watching it. Isidro, um, reflecting on what Brando just said there, um, how will the EU's approach reflect EU core values? And what are those values? What what are the values when it comes to AI that will separate uh, the EU from other jurisdictions? And that are unique to Europe.
1: Thank you thank you Dave for, the, for for the question and very good Brando for opening up this area on on, on, on the on the enforcement. I would like to put the, the the focus here on the enforcement. I think that we all agree that the regulation is, is right has the right components inside. And uh, has these safeguards to protect our our values and our uh, principles that are reflected in our in, in in our in our human rights chart in the in the in the EU and in all our treaties and all our our uh, um, foundation documents. But I would like to put the focus on that the regulation is useless if we are not able to enforce that. So here, uh, the enforcement, uh, strong enforcement mechanisms are very important to ensure that the people is at the center so we need to at the same time we need to 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 ensure that this uh, enforcement is not against the uh, economic performance or, the, or the, the capacity to innovate here in Europe, the regulatory sandboxes is, is an excellent instrument that is in the, in the, it has been introduced and has it, been introduced and expanded in more and more different uh, uh, technological areas. But we need to, to, to ensure also that the, this is uh, having a, a positive impact on the economic performance in Europe, we have to realize that we are not alone, that they, as, as Brandon mentioned, we have the Chinese, we have the not only Chinese, uh, Indians and all the Asian uh, uh, continent. And, and then we have the US, everyone has a different uh, approach All are uh, respected, but we have our own approach and in this approach, we need to ensure that we are able to keep a balance of our values, uh, respect for privacy, respect for, for diversity and at the same time, to keep a uh, 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 competitive economy in Europe and not to stop innovation, not to stop the transformations that are needed to make our, our economies and our businesses more and more uh, efficient to be able to compete with the other economies uh, uh, across the world. So we need to keep that those those balance and the key here will be the enforcement that is ra- done in the right way, not to one state, not to other states, just to enforce what is in the, in the in the regulation and to to keep always the, the in, in mind the spirits of of the human-centered approach that we are taking putting the people at the center providing security on the one hand and at the same time ensuring that everything that they are receiving from ai is in respect of of our uh, regulations and our laws
0: Well, we've had a somewhat related question come in from the audience, so I'm going to put this to you guys. Um, Laura, maybe you could take this first. So Ray Schoenfeld asks, the Embryonic EU-USA Trade and Technology Council, which held its inaugural meeting recently, has established a working group on AI. What realistic opportunities exist for regulatory harmonization between the USA and the EU? What do you think, Laura? Laura?
2: Gosh, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm the right person to comment on this, uh, what, um, how, how the regulation can be harmonized across, uh, across the, the, the Atlantic. I, I, I do think we come from very different uh, perspectives, uh, different, different uh, cultures. Um, I do think it's very important, though, that, that we get to some harmonization because, uh, well, um, a lot of the technology that we use in Europe is being made in the U.S. Um, most of the venture capital goes to um, uh, venture capital in, in uh, AI startups goes to U.S. firms and also Chinese firms. I think it's over 80 percent uh of venture capital that goes to the us and china for ai startups it's only like four percent for european ai startups so 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 maybe someone else can comment on the on uh, what what the scope is in harmonizing but i but i do want to stress that it's really important that that we get there since we we are using a lot of american technologies um and um yeah we should also promote our own uh, AI startups in Europe to make sure that that we provide some balance to that.
0: Um, Benjamin, maybe you could take this one because data is one of the the real key differences, I think, between uh, the US and EU regulatory approach. And it's one of the things that needs to be solved at this Technology Council. Uh, What do you think the scope is for uh, regulatory harmonization?
3: Well, there's a lot of scope um, and it's really a question of uh, political willpower. Um, Margaret Vestager said something uh, interesting the other day, namely that the Transatlantic uh, Trade Technology Council has an AI working group, which is uh, hoping to develop a tool to check if uh, an AI system violates rights. Um, and you know, to the extent that we can foster the creation of mutually interoperable standards for, say, uh, explainable or transparent systems um that should obviously then facilitate uh, our ability um to 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 sell ai products into each other's markets um and i think that um generally at the moment uh, the um the importance of free and open data flows is is underestimated uh, as a factor in in economic growth um and the the point that laura just made is also well taken you know I have every sympathy for the uh, authors of the AI Act in Europe. Obviously, the intentions behind it um, are are entirely understandable and and indeed laudable. Uh, Where I'm uh, slightly concerned is whether we are kidding ourselves by pretending that regulation in and of itself is going to allow Europe um, to to succeed in this uh, global competition, uh, to get, be at the forefront of AI development, or whether we are um, risking uh, a future where AI development largely takes place outside of Europe and the value accrual takes place outside of Europe, and then companies come and sell into Europe once they can shoulder the regulatory burden of doing so. And I think, for instance, the uh, sandbox provision of the Act. Um, doesn't doesn't really count as a sandbox because there is no suspension of of any rules that I can see inside the sandbox. It's it's quite Orwellian in that it says um, you can enter the sandbox and you'll get extra close supervision, but actually uh, everything else applies to you. So I think there's a lot more we can do to encourage the both the development of AI in Europe, but also the the adoption um and i have you know specific ideas around how to tailor some parts of the act that i think will, will be very costly for the european economy but i i highly welcome uh the notion that uh regulatory harmonization and and, and interoperability between the us and, and the europe is at the forefront uh of policymakers' agenda and i think a lot should also uh um a lot of work needs to take place on, on in Working against the trend of data localization, which is really another form of, of digital protectionism, um, that I, 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 I really think we should um, we should uh, try and resist um, from from my perspective.
0: Jens Hendrik, uh, what do you think? Um, what do you think, Jens? Is, is the scope for cooperation between the U.S. and the EU? Thanks, Dave. Uh,
4: yeah, so. Workday is one of the few companies that have that that, that have uh, advocated for uh, sort of proactively for um, regulation on AI, not only in Europe but also in the U.S. We published a white paper in January of this year, uh, with events uh, both in in Washington and Brussels, uh, where we made the case uh, for uh, uh, the necessity of regulation of targeted and proportionate regulation in this area um, now uh, in terms of of, uh, of regulatory initiatives so i think i don't think there's any line of sight to uh, uh, legislation like the EU ai act uh, coming on stream in 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 the u.s um, however there is activity going on uh, the national institute of standards and technology uh, has uh, started work on a um, of a risk management framework, uh, and um, and I think, in general, when you look at the substance, uh, so for example, on the su- the substance of the requirements that are expressed in in the EU's uh, AI Act, are not dissimilar to the um, so so these non-regulatory. Uh, 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 work streams that are coming online in, in the U.S. Uh, and if you look at how uh, developers, uh, experts in AI and machine learning, many of whom are, of course, in the U.S., as you know, uh, w- when you look at what has been their priority over the over the past n- number of years, those are the same concerns. How do we make sure that AI applications are fair, transparent, and accurate and, and safe to use, and that they do not result in uh, in discrimination and bias that is unethical and, and unfair or illegal. Those are absolutely those concerns. And so, we were quite pleased, uh, I think, with the readout from the Trade and Technology Council. Uh, we think that there's uh, uh, AI uh, was was given quite a uh, a. a, 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 a quite a a a strong kind of position in 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 the whole ttc uh, uh framework um and as as benjamin said um technical standards uh that's where a lot of this where the, the rubber will meet the road in the sense of um of uh, again the requirements in the eu's ai act that you know it is foreseen that technical standards will be the, the answer to many of these, or the compliance model uh, for many of these uh, requirements, and uh, and absolutely we should uh, we should try to make sure that those standards are interoperable and that they are uh, workable uh, globally. Uh, and so, in that sense, the, the the policy work that that is now going on with the AI Act will have uh, quite significant influence also uh, on the U.S. side and and elsewhere. Thanks, Dave.
0: Brando, I know you must be watching the Ttc closely. What do you think is the scope of cooperation there, and what are you worried about uh, if the Ttc kind of doesn't go europe's way?
5: well uh, I would say it's uh, it's not uh, so uh, easy to say now what will be the final outcome i i want to 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 be honest i i, I think we it's a first um a step uh, in the right direction it's uh, important that we build uh, this uh, uh, cooperation mm, i would uh, not uh, be too optimistic or pessimistic at the moment uh, it's clear that until now um i i mentioned one 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 uh, one context where we see the difficulties in these years that has been the uh, transatlantic data flows uh, where uh, um, we have seen the failing of uh, different uh, uh, schemes and different systems. And we uh, see growing concerns on the difference uh, uh, of our uh, um, approaches. And they are still not solved. And I think that uh, uh, it will be crucial, especially that we uh, work on um, on this issue of data, uh, where I, I think we should try to reach uh, the closest uh, cooperation respecting uh, uh, the differences that we have and and by not uh, um, uh, degrading from the European side the level of protection that we have uh, uh, built and that will be crucial for uh, AI to work um, in a way that uh, will not be detrimental to uh, citizen's fundamental rights Uh, there are too many risks that especially um, will be um, uh, clearer when the level of penetration of AI will grow and I'm sure it will grow exponentially uh, like we did with the usage of internet when we moved to a mobile uh, usage with uh, the smartphones etc it's been a, a change with social media starting to be there and with uh, uh, internet in mobility I'm sure that the AI will have its uh, boom moment uh, when uh, um uh, usages that we don't uh for consumers that we don't think of at the moment will be there and uh, we will be strongly entrenched with the us and i think it's it will be crucial that we have uh, reached um uh, a a stronger set of agreements so i i look forward to the continuing work i mean we just had this uh meeting in us but i think we will need to uh, see how things can 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 go on on all on all aspects
0: isidro as uh, brando just mentioned we're in early days for the ttc but what do you hope can be achieved there and what do you think can be realistically achieved should we kind of um, be be realistic in our expectations yeah
1: yeah the ttc is at the early stage as you mentioned and the Commissioner Gabriel is going to participate in the coming days in a meeting also organised with the European Parliament on on, on this topic. And, and uh, here, the only thing we can say is the good um, intentions from both sides. And as uh, Jack Sullivan, the Secretary of State of National Security in the White House. Or the national advisors of the white house uh welcome on the on the 21st of april the, the our regulation and she he stated that to work together to foster a transworthy ai of course the words needs to be translated into concrete actions but to have this working group on the ttc on this topic of ai is a good indication i would like here to to to, to talk a little bit about what laura mentioned on the on the where the AI is generated. So, where they will, uh, the, the, we will be the providers of the AI and the importance of that. Laura very rightly mentioned there's very small amount of, of funding going to AI startups. So, of course, we can just become consumers of what others produce in the States or in China and regulate them while we are strong in, in consuming power, they we will be able to regulate them the moment our economy shrink and we don't have the power, we will not be able to regulate them either. So it's very important that we put the focus on that. And this is one of the uh, main uh, differentiating uh, 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 initiatives of the Commission, uh, Commissioner Gabriel, that this is not only about regulating, the Commissioner Gabriel wants to focus a lot on creating unicorns and big tech companies in Europe. And of course, that includes AI. But I would like also to point here, the importance of the new, ai platforms that are emerging so we we think in terms of platforms we think in terms of digital platforms like amazon for shopping or google or facebook etc no but there is a new emerging type of of of, uh, platforms that that have a hardware component the so-called deep tech type of uh, of platforms and here we have examples coming from the us but also from europe where we are not bad position at all so of course we have uh, nvidia that is a, a, a uh, plus a high performance computer platform that is used for more than uh, 2.5 million developers in the world and, and is used by by bw for example to work on the automotive cars etc and this is coming from the u.s from uh, silicon valley from santa clara but we have also here in europe for example the uipath platform that is combining robotics with ai so what i want to say here is that we are going to see more and more platforms in which who have a strong hardware component and with AI embedded there, that's the future. The future is not, uh, I mean, of course they have a future, social media, Amazon, that's fine. They have made our life easier. We can do shopping easier. We can pay, made our payments online. We can, I can talk with my mother in Spain. That's was great, I signed up for that. But now we are entering into a new wave of innovation that is going to transform everything from energy to transportation, to agriculture, to food, that has 90% of the cases a hardware component with AI embedded there, and that's where we have to put the focus, and that's where we have to ensure that Europe is the leader, and the good, the prospects are not bad, as I said, the largest robotic company, robotic platform company is from Romania, uipath they made recently an exit with evaluation higher than Spotify everybody talks in Europe about Spotify about a success stories on the startups area who has been talking in Brussels for example about uipath success stories I know Eurati has written about that so it's not it's not you but I, I the point I want to say is that it's good to I mean that we should not have a gloomy attitude here. We should uh, think that uh, realize looking at the fact that we have a very bright future, if we don't look backwards to the digital things, uh, but we look forward to hardware with digital, where Euro has a, a very big uh, competitive advantages because we have a lot of manufacturers here with a hardware company, like the automotive sector, chemistry, etc., and we have also a lot of science, and this new wave of. Of robotics, uh, HPC, AI, all these kind of things, uh, synthetic biology, all they have a strong science component. Those are the ones that are the future. Those will be the future platforms in which we will be moving with our cars or with flying taxis, in which we will be using energy, new energy uh, sources from hydrogen, from deep uh, geothermal energy. So that where we have to 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 focus. or so co-regulation is is not only, should not only be about regulating the past, the digital things that are coming as as Laura Sancho said from outside Europe, but should be also to look forward and to prepare the the, the ecosystem, the European innovation ecosystem to allow the uh, future uh, unicorns with a hardware component to be born here. Those are the, the, the platforms and those are the ones, as Blanto said, that will be pervasive in all the, our economy, all our society, and we need to make an effort to ensure that they are made here in Europe. But as I said, we are in a good track on that.
0: So the next question from the audience is a question to Laura. Uh, this question comes from Stefan Gran. You rightly underlined the dangers of AI firing and hiring apps. Would it not be better to ban such apps entirely? Gosh,
2: would it be, would it be better? I think I think um, I, I think there should be careful checks. Yes, I think the risks are are very high, and I think in in answering this question, I want to. I want to pick up on something that Brando said before, that uh, self-assessment in these very high-risk uh, applications is not, is not enough. Um, self-assessment by the AI developer or the employer who's putting the system in place, it's not enough, and it's actually also uh, labour labor representation should, should have a say um, in the risk assessments for these very high-risk applications and 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 it's not just who is doing the the risk assessment it's, it's also what what type of risks are being assessed so the risk of of, of um I, I think the risks are described too too general in the in the regulation it talks about the risks uh for human rights uh safety and health um but i think i think the risks should should um should go further than that and should be more explicitly described so um besides safety risks we should think about uh job quality risks and and well-being risks uh in, in in the workplace um and these these should be explicit measures uh in in the risk assessments i i, I want to be careful to say if we should out outright ban ban those i, I do think they entail very high risks um, and there should be a, a human in the loop and there should be human oversight and we should make sure that, that labor representation has has part of that oversight and that we are more demanding on all the types of risks that, that, that we want to look at.
0: Great. So we have another question from the audience. This question is for Jens Hendrik. Uh, this question comes from Thomas Jorgensen. What data do you use to teach the machines how to read and assess degrees, certificates, non-formal and informal learning, etc.? Uh, so that's a that's a fairly detailed
4: question, so, uh, uh, and I, I'm not sure we will have time to go into that at, in, in this context. But uh, I mean, all uh, all machine learning models are trained on uh, on Data sets uh, that are entered into the system, such that the um, such that the uh, that the model learns how to recognize and categorize different, uh, in, in this case, uh, words, different uh, types of of text, and so the developers uh, of the system will constantly review and update and improve. Uh, On the uh, on the model uh, with new data as as it comes uh, as it comes along, Um, so uh, I hope that's a that's a uh, reasonable answer in in this time frame. But we're
0: we're just about out of time. Makes sense to me. I think uh, yeah, as you say, it's probably very technical, but I think that's a good overview. Okay, so before we close, I think we have time for some quick closing remarks. I wanted to ask each of you if you could say in about thirty seconds. What do you think is the most important thing we need to do to improve the way AI is being integrated into our lives? If you could pick just one thing, what would it be? Um, Isidro, let's start with you.
1: So if I had to pick one thing, I would say to ensure that the future AI providers are coming from Europe. Laura? Neighbors.
2: We, we have to be careful about managing the transition and that, that's in response to something that Benjamin said about we have to push through this period of technological upheaval and uh, when we get through the end of the period it will be better and I agree that in the long run there is a definitely scope for better jobs also when you look at these historic periods. Uh, you see that over the long run, job quality increased a lot eh? if you think about jobs of farmers and miners. The thing is that the long run can take a lifetime and getting, getting through this tunnel can be hard and painful for people. So while there is light at the end of the tunnel, we have to help people to get through the tunnel and, 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 and soften the transition.
0: I think that's a good metaphor and also a hopeful metaphor, I think. Um, Benjamin, how about you? Well,
3: I think the, the overarching priority should be to encourage as much as possible to incentivize and promote the development, the uptake and the rollout of AI in Europe. And I think we should stress that this is an opportunity for our economies, for our societies, that the sort of barriers to entry to participate in this revolution are breaking down. Uh, we should promote digital literacy and do our utmost uh, to ensure that there is a vibrant and flourishing ecosystem here in Europe where the entire value chain from large scale corporations down to small and medium sized enterprises try and take advantage of these new tools, experiment with them uh, and, and uh, can improve uh,
0: Europe's uh, track record in productivity growth. Great, uh, Jens Hendrik, what do you think is the most important thing?
4: I would come back to skills. Uh, we need to make sure that as new technologies become available, whether AI or non-AI related, that people have the skills that they need to be able to take advantage of new opportunities that are created. And I think there is a responsibility for, governments, for European governments and EU institutions in terms of putting in place funding and, and skills programs uh, that are necessary and structuring the labor markets in a, in a way that it becomes easy for people to upskill and reskill uh, over the, the course of their careers. And on the company side, uh, same thing, uh, make reskilling, upskilling a, uh, just a constant part of how you manage your, your workforce. That is going to be to the benefit of the company and that is going to be to the benefit uh,
0: of the employees as well. And Brando, what do you think is the most important thing?
5: Well, I think that uh, also listening to these uh, statements we just heard, uh, it's clear that uh, the issue of trust is uh, fundamental. If we build a trustful environment for AI in all aspects, it can thrive and uh, be um, uh, useful and uh, understood and uh, be in a healthy way part of our society. Uh, if there is no trust and so no understanding uh, we will see a clash between different uh, interests that are on the on the plate uh, from uh, uh, employment uh, aspects to the environmental concerns that are also part of the digital uh, innovation uh, tunnel we are in uh, and uh, we will not see solutions so it's crucial to build trust and this is uh, a lot the responsibility of the institutions uh, to um, be able to regulate in a way that uh, uh, sustains innovation good innovation especially and that can uh, make the public uh, uh, able not to be manipulated but to be part uh, of this uh, ongoing uh, uh, technological
0: change so this is my 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 fault. And Isidro, I did want to go back to you for the final word from the commission's perspective, uh, if you could characterize the commission as an institution's thinking here. What do you think is the most important thing for the commission?
1: So as I said before, for us, the, 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 the most important thing is, is uh, to have a trustworthy AI and to secure that this happens, we have two instruments, the enforcement of the regulation that is, has been recently published, and second, to foster that more and more AI suppliers, AI startups, and unicorns are coming from Europe. We need to work on both sides, on the regulatory side and the enforcement, enforcement side, that in this particular case of AI is not easy at all. And we need to work also on building a, a pan-European innovation ecosystem that allows the AI startups, not necessarily software startups, but with a hardware component startups are born in Europe so that the future of energy or transportation of food with AI embedded are coming from here from the same people that uh, people that has the same values and culture who has been in the same universities in the same schools as we have been this is still important to work on both regulation enforcement and also uh, fostering innovation and fostering
0: startups in the topic Great. Well, I want to say thank you to all our panelists for some great insights, and also thank you to you at home for asking some great questions. This is an area that is moving from the realm of science fiction into the real aspects of our lives, and here in Brussels, people are definitely starting to think about how do we regulate all this stuff. This is a story that is only beginning and has a long way to go, and at your active, we'll be following this very closely. So thank you for spending your morning with us and I wish you a great afternoon. Take care.